Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Welcome to, I almost said off code, oops. <laughs> Welcome to All The Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And I, and this is, and this is the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Well, it's been a long and winding road for us on the issue of reparations. We're going to finally have the big public conversation. It's the first time we've ever talked about this topic in public. It's a frequent question that we get when we're out on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so gosh, a couple of years ago, we had Dr. Pat Sawyer on, and he did not talk about reparations, but reparations did come up. At the very end of the show. At the very end so, of the show. Well, yes. So it, prior to that, mm-hmm. you know, in the very beginning, um, what was your position on reparations? Oh, completely for reparations. Yeah. Completely for reparations. Yeah. And my position was. That's foolish. <laughs> pretty much like I'm not responsible for other people's sins or problems. I had never even heard of reparations prior to meeting Monique. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. So fast forward to August of 2020. <laughs> Haley said, everyone get your popcorn for this one. Get your popcorn yeah. and your tea. Yeah. I'm playing no games. Yes. Yeah. So Pat Sawyer comes on the show. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of the show. <sighs> and Dr. Pat is Neil yeah. Shinvi's writing partner. Yeah. So just two very smart people together. And yeah. they're on, he's on our show. Yeah. He's been on our show before, but now yeah. he's on our show. Uh-huh. And so I asked him a, sh- a question at the end of the show uh, about reparations, not really even thinking about like what a can of worms I was opening. Mm-hmm. And his answer, I frankly don't even completely remember his answer. Why is that? I Because I just... I went away. Yeah, I was going to say, tuned out. Yes. Yeah, I just was yeah. like, when I heard him say, well, if you look at it from this certain point of view, a, a case could be made in this kind of a way. I just went away. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to end the stream. I was done. And oh, it, she was so upset. Oh, my gosh. It led to probably one of the worst fights we ever had. It lasted like three or four days. Yeah. It was really bad. It was bad. It was it really, was bad. really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so confused upset and we write about a lot of the our moments of confusion and upsetness what were you so upset about and confused about i couldn't believe that he actually thought that there could be a case for it and i don't like i said i don't even remember what he said Mm -hmm. because i just became so emotional that i totally unhooked from everything he said Mm -hmm. i just I don't know. Psychologists probably say I disassociated. I was just like, I'm, I'm done mm-hmm. and just kind of went away. OK. And I was I was so angry. And and after a few days of that, I, I kind of had an insight of, gosh, I have a lot of emotion about a topic I've never even researched. I've never even looked into it. But it's been a, a, a long conversation for both of us. It has. And 
in fairness, you know, there were a lot of things that I thought, you know, coming into the conversation with reparations, like, of course, of course, we need to make right on on this situation, of course. And, um, you know, now how we made right on the situation or what that looked like, I wasn't very clear on. I was just like, it needs to be made right. You didn't and I have had, a lot of details. No, thought I didn't. Out. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of details thought out at all. And so I've actually changed my mind some on reparations and I've become very cautious in the conversation where I think you have definitely switched over and had some more openness to the conversation. So let's dig in and really look at some of the the issues around it. We wanted yeah. to let you know, first off, that it is a very complex topic. It is extremely complex. I mean, you have some biblical support for it, but then kind of not really kind of maybe, maybe if you clue some, you know, different <laughs> verses together, you can yeah. put a, a well-warranted argument together. Kind of it's an emotional topic. It is a very emotional it, it topic. In, yeah, yeah. It involves people, their and money it, and their money, their pocketbooks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So don't come for me in my pocket. Um, and so I think that we hear that part of the conversation, too, of like, well, this group over here just wants to hold on to their money, but they fail to realize that, you know, this group could have been earning money, too, had yeah. there not been segregation and slavery and redlining and Jim Crow laws and lynchings. And, you know, so there's that. But what we don't often talk about is the fact that blacks also own blacks. Yeah. And so what do we do with that part of the conversation? Oh, yeah. And like, well, if you be coming for reparations, and I got do I pay myself it's a very emotional topic and it's like I said it's just it bubbles over with different complexities yeah and so please be gracious with us as we navigate our way through this conversation publicly for the first time but we also write about this in our book and so we want to make sure that we're hearing your conversation as well so please you know let us know your thoughts your questions because it could influence how we might think about the conversation as well yeah and this is very kind of fluid issue for us we've both been on our own separate journeys and our journey together and we're inviting other people now into the conversation so we definitely want to hear from people about what you're hearing or what your thoughts are our goal our goal tonight though is really to help people hear out both sides yeah because usually what happens is at events people are like are you for it or against it and they just want us to say no reparations yes reparations and we're like i was okay it's super complicated i was at an event recently and someone said well reparations is just stupid and i said well actually if you think about it and then i had to present some other ideas and thoughts and things that have happened historically and then people are like oh well i haven't thought about that so we want to make sure that we're not just jumping into the that's stupid campaign without having you know warranted reason to say and we don't want to just say that that's stupid we actually want to take a more gracious approach so let's talk about the big idea behind reparations yeah and i i think that that is an important place to start because if we're going to understand each other we have to at least understand what and i'm going to make an assumption here that most people who watch this show lean against reparations. And so I'm we're both going to make try to really help you understand the other side of the conversation tonight to some degree. And the reason for this is that whether you're for it or against it, it's important to understand the other person's point of view. This is what my friend Ken Samples calls the golden rule of apologetics. 
It's where you want to truly understand the best arguments on the other side of the issue, be able to articulate them and then respond to them. And so we're going to spend some time tonight trying to help everyone who interacts with this content to really understand the issues a little better. We, we won't be perfect at it. We're going to do our best uh, to, to not do straw man arguments, but to do Iron Man arguments, strong arguments of um, both sides. So the big idea behind reparations is what? What, what would you say that is? Make it rain. Pay me. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. That's, that's, that's not the, true. That's the stereotype. That, it is a stereotype that everybody just wanted, wants to get paid and they just, you know, want to yeah. get their little piece and things like that. The big idea behind reparations is that it's a debt that, that's been owed. It is a, a debt for the work that um, slaves did that they were never compensated for um, and that that money, because it was never given to those slaves, should be given to African descendants of slavery, ADOS, which is a technical term, African descendants of slavery. Now, in addition to the conversation of slavery, reparations also, people are looking for reparations also for things like redlining and separate but equal. Um, redlining being the, the time when when blacks couldn't buy houses in certain areas or the um, oh, what was the the housing thing through the VA when, you know, certain people in in military service weren't allowed to get certain loans. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of of conversation about why why reparations? But the big idea is that people in America, black specifically in America, were um were barred from the opportunity to earn and create wealth. Yeah, so it's it's kind of two issues. It's unpaid slave labor and secondly, being barred from building wealth after slavery. So there's sort of two issues here. And um, we have to acknowledge, I think, that there's a growing sympathy toward this if people go on twitter you can just type in the hashtag reparations and you can see the types of cases that are being made for reparations the type of people who are advocating for it and i encourage you if this is something that you are in dialogue with people about to do your due diligence and you know, there's the academic arguments and then there's the everyday man arguments. And if you want good everyday man arguments, go on Twitter, type in hashtag reparations, see what people are saying in the national conversation. Yes, I think, unfortunately, for some of the everyday man arguments, they do like they do look like what I was saying before about yeah. making it rain or just give me my money or, you know, all of these things. And Unfortunately, that makes the conversation look a particular kind of way, especially when those conversations are proposed by like Uber social justice warrior type people. So yeah. then it looks like there's just this argument coming from this one, you know, political or ideological camp and they look crazy. Yeah. So how can we thread this out and have a better conversation? Um, In our own state. Yeah. There's already infrastructure being built in the state of California. They set up kind of a, a, a board a couple of years ago to start the conversation in the state of California about reparations. I don't know, paying descendants of 
slaves like two hundred thousand dollars. Two hundred thousand. I know the state of the state, the city of San Francisco looked at having their own, you know, just within program. their city, their own program for African descendants of slavery to be able to give them a certain amount of money. Across the state, there was a wider conversation looking at African descendants of slavery who are residents within California and giving them a certain amount of money. And so our legislation here or legislature here is really trying to create the infrastructure to be able to pay reparations to African descendants of slavery in California. And so, you know, with that happening it is helpful for us as believers to especially be educated about what is happening. So you can actually um, Google reparations in your state to be able to see what kind of conversations may be happening in your state regarding this. Yeah. And again, the, the point here is, first of all, to to understand, you know, to be aware of your own position, to research the other position adequately, because if you want to persuade somebody to a particular point of view, You have to start first by educating yourself about what they actually believe and not just put up a bunch of straw men and say, that's just dumb. That's not going to be helpful. So within the world, we talked about, you know, how the social justice warrior can, you know, look way out there crazy or whatever, you know, when they get to blaring on social media. But there are people within evangelicalism, like within the SBC and things like that, who are standing for reparations. And so we have a couple of examples to be able to show you that this, there are people attempting to put forward thoughtful conversations on the idea of reparations. The first one we're going to look at is from Tabidi Anyawabile. Um, I hope I did not mess up his name too much. Um, But it's from a 2019 article that was produced by the Gospel Coalition, and it is entitled Reparations Are Biblical. Yeah. And so if you want to take a look at that article, um, yeah, that was it, Bob. The uh, people can check it out on the Gospel Coalition website. And it is a little bit of an older article. It's from 2019. But, um, you know, that is a good short introduction by somebody who is, I would say, um, there were, there's going to be things that we agree with this brother on, and there's going to be some things where we take a little bit different approach. But this is like a good article, short article length introduction to the idea from a Christian perspective. He defines reparations in principle and says, I would define reparations as material and social repayment made as acknowledgement and restitution by an offending party to an aggrieved party for wrongs done in order to repair the injuries, losses, and or disadvantages caused by the wrong. That's good. And we're going to come back to... Mm -hmm. Those kinds of definitions, because that is a very important part of the conversation is what is the biblical case for reparations and, um, you know, how how is that being defined? Another example I I put forward here, and this is, again, older. So I want people to understand these ideas are not new. They have been in are floating around evangelical spaces for for a while now. This is actually a post from 2016 from the Jude 3 Project. That is still on their social media. This is not a screen cap. This is a live link. Um, And the Jude 3 Project is a little bit kind of like us in some ways of Mm -hmm. talking about race issues, um, apologetics within the black community. But what I really wanted to, I think is interesting, and this this links to a 
a blog post. I think this is by Charlie Dates, correct? Uh, I think so, but I could be wrong about that. Is the po- is. is the poll quote says not only reconciliation, in other words, racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. but also reparations, restoration, and repayment are central to the gospel. Mm-hmm. So I want I want people to understand is there is a a real push to hook reparations into the gospel that it becomes. To make it a gospel issue. Yeah, it becomes a gospel conversation. Are you participating in the gospel? Are you doing gospel ministry if you are not paying reparations? So that's also, you know, an idea that's out there floating in evangelical spaces. Yeah, lots of great questions and comments coming Mm -hmm. in, and we will will definitely get get to those things as we unfold. We see them. They're awesome. And we will definitely be commenting about those things. Um, Another very famous example in evangelical spaces is a now famous sermon by uh, Dr. Eric Mason. It's from July 26, 2020, uh, about reparations. And uh, he's preaching it outside. And so if you'll recall, during this time, it was in COVID days. And so that's why he's outside. But, you know, it's a good overview of a case for reparations. Dr. Mason is a commonly platformed. He's on the right now media platform. Uh, he has plat- been platformed multiple times by Dallas Theological Seminary. Um, so he's not seen as a progressive or a fringe person. He is seen as a mm-hmm. mainstream evangelical. Now, again, Brother Mason is somebody that we would agree with on some issues and some issues we would um, see very differently, but that's a, it's a really good example of case making from, you know, an evangelical perspective for reparations. His quote says 200 years of free tuition at historically black colleges and universities. This is what he wants. This is is his idea of reparations. 200 years of free tuition at um, HBCUs, canceling every black person's student loan debt, repaying blacks who paid student loans and free mental health services. Yeah. I think in the video, he actually called it, give him his drip and his stacks. Yes. And I think that that, you know, on both sides of the conversation, that's important because when we engage with each other, sometimes those kinds of things that are what I call inside baseball types of conversations, uh, it can be a turnoff to the other side. Mm-hmm. And so this is why, you know, we want to not straw man things or just incite the other the other side of the conversation. If you want a book length treatment of the issue, uh, probably the the best one right now is a book called Reparations by Duke Kwan and Gregory Thompson. Now, I would characterize Mr. Kwan and Mr. Thompson as being a little bit more progressive Mm -hmm. in in their point of view. Uh, I'm sure that if I were to sit down with with them over coffee, we could find one or two things we agree about. But I think that for the most part, they're going to answer most questions that we would raise from a pretty different point of view. But yeah, but again, Mr. Kwan, for example, um, you know, is frequently platformed by evangelicals and, and his work is out there. So that would be a book length treatment on, this is a on book the I'm issue. actually making my way through now. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't know you were kind of working through that. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so those are our attempt to let you know, like some other resources you can find on the pro reparation side from 
somewhere in the evangelical sphere of things. Okay, you're reading comments. Yeah, I am. All right. So let's keep going. Well, yeah. Okay, so let's look at the conversation first from like we see what's out here in the public sphere. We see what's, you know, what evangelicals are saying. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the biblical position. What does the scripture say? That's what we should care about for, first and foremost. If the if the scriptures say, hey, look, you know, this you, is what you should do. African descendant of slaves, you need to get over it. Like you, your generations removed. We're just going to have to keep going, forgive and let's move on. Then that's what we should do. If the scriptures say, hey, look, maybe there's something here. That's what we should do. But let's really dig in and see, you know, what it is. So big picture principle that we're going to look at this issue is. The, it, we're going to call it the issue of restitution, because that's really more of the, the word that's used in English Bible translations, the issue of restitution, what I want you to understand is a deeply biblical idea. Mm -hmm. These authors are not wrong to point this out. They are not wrong to say that repayment for wrongs is a biblical idea. And it's not just like a fringe idea with one or two Bible verses of questionable interpretation. Okay. This is the idea of money, monetary compensation for a wrong is a critical part of God's standard of justice. And I think we have to really appreciate this. Um, I have a number of examples. Do you mind if we read through those or do you want to make a comment first? No, I was just going to start reading through them. Okay, so... Um, I've got some some scriptures here for us to read through together. Uh, the first one is from Exodus 21, 18 and 19. Now, again, we're looking at these verses in the Near Eastern context, ancient Near Eastern context. But we as Christians would say that there's an enduring and biting principle from God's eternal moral law that that is transcultural. So we're going to look at that at these verses with that in mind. <clears throat> when men quarrel. And one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist. And the man does not die, but takes to his bed. And I'm assuming here he's injured. Uh, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him and shall have him thoroughly healed. So the idea here is if an injury happens um, you know, looking to the, the principle of what is the severity of the injury, how much work time is lost, because this is the issue. So many of the, the laws in the Old Testament, it's about work and preserving work, the dignity of work that a man can support his family, that he has land to support his family. That's kind of the underlying principle of the whole thing. So then if a fight happens, if there's an injury as a result of a fist fight or a stone, which I would, the transcultural principle of that, I would say is a weapon. Somebody loses time off from work. That person should compensate him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if a beast, a stole, if the stolen beast is found alive and in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. So, if your neighbor's animal <laughs> wanders into your into your yard or if you steal him, 
there's going to be some compensation there, there you know and um so if i get caught eating sparky later yeah then, okay yeah I gotta pay double. yeah right. so again this is attached to livelihood though these beasts of burden would be used for farming they would mm -hmm. be used for transportation so again this is all attached to livelihood this is attached to being able to make a living okay let's scroll down to the next one Exodus 21, 28 through 36. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death. So you have an unruly animal or I'm going to extend it to a pet. You have an unruly animal or pet. The ox shall be stoned. It'll be killed. Its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore, so in other words, if it's a one-off, it's an accident, okay, we're going to let that pass. Mm -hmm. But if this is a habitual thing where the owner knows my animal gets out of control and it kills someone, that ox shall be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. So there's, a, you know, there's a serious consequence here that that, that owner is liable for that. And um, I think that this is this is important because, again, we're trying to establish the idea of restitution. That in God's law, as part of His eternal moral law, the, there is there is this underlying, abiding transcultural principle of paying back. Okay. All right. So I would like because those were the all, all the ones you were going to use, right? From I the Old so. Testament. Okay. Yeah. So there's one that I tended to use in Deuteronomy, and I know we don't have that up, so I'm just going to read it. Deuteronomy 15. Yeah. Was that down lower? I didn't see it on the list. Um, that's for later. Yeah. Let which what verses was that? But yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, we're right, going we'll to come to it a little okay. later. Yeah. So. Right now, I'm just trying to establish the principle of restitution. Mm -hmm. So this begins to bring some context to the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19. How is, how is the story of Zacchaeus frequently used in the conversation about reparations? Well, because Zacchaeus paid back for the wrongs that he, you know, committed, then as a nation, we should pay back those for the wrongs that you know, were those who were wrongfully harmed or stolen from. So this is a key proof text mm -hmm. for the Christian reparation crowd. Yeah. So I want to, again, lend some context to yeah. this, because these verses that we looked at, Exodus, Deuteronomy, are in the background mm -hmm. when we arrive at Luke chapter 19. Yeah, and Luke 19, in this conversation, it'll be really important to hear um, to hear this part, because this is a lot of what people who propose or who are proponents of reparations will come with immediately, like Luke 19. Well, how should we think about Luke 19 in context? This actually might answer some of the questions that people are putting in the in the chat. Yeah. Go ahead. OK, so let's look at Luke chapter 19 here. And thank you to Bob. Shout out to Bob for all of the graphics that he's juggling over there. Um, so I'm going to commend people to to look at this. And I did a whole live stream like two years ago about Zacchaeus and his whole deep dive into the background. We're just going to thumbnail it right now, but people can go catch that replay on my theology mom channel if they want. But um, scroll down a little bit, Bob in and um, right there. That's perfect. So Zacchaeus, when he says, um, 
that behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor in verse eight. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And so what is in the background of this statement is Zacchaeus, likely a Jew, a tax collector. In fact, he's a chief tax collector. So he's probably supervising other tax collectors. And it was a common practice that they would fraud their neighbors. They would over collect taxes and then they would give the, the due to the Roman government, but then they would pocket some of it themselves. Mm-hmm. So he's, he, he probably knows who the people are that he has frauded. And he's saying, I'm going to pay them back. But I'm not the, the, the Mosaic law only requires payment double. He says, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. Why does he do this? It's because he's so, when he encounters Jesus and he truly understands that even he, as a horrible sinner, and all of the people that he's frauded and stolen from, can believe in Jesus as a Messiah, can come be part of the kingdom of God. He is so overjoyed by that level of forgiveness. He responds with, I am going to pay back my neighbor times four. Yes. He responds with obedience to the Old Testament law. Yeah. And then he extends beyond the Old Testament law, which shows you the level of heart change that he has had as an individual in repaying those that he personally had defrauded. He wasn't going to go pay back Matthew's tax collecting scams and you yeah. know people that Matthew may have stole from, but he was paying back those that he said, you know, because my heart has changed and I am overwhelmed with the heart change. I'm going to go back and repair what I've wronged with those who I have wronged. So Exodus 22, seven has this principle of paying back double Zacchaeus meets Jesus as a Messiah His heart is so impacted. He says, I'm going to do it times four. I'm Mm going to pay it back. So going to the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is you should not steal. When we unfold some of those laws in the the chapters after the Ten Commandments, what we see is there's a lot of commandments about how not to steal. There's more specifically not to engage in fraud, you know, and not to engage in bribery. and, And what do you do to repair it if you do engage in these sins? So his heart was truly changed by Jesus. I think this is going to be a very important point we're going to come back to. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. Yeah. It's <laughs> the problem with all of this. These are the passages that are used by the Christian pro-reparation side. And I am convinced that they have a valid point in pointing out that restitution and repayment is a deeply biblical idea. Mm-hmm. They are not wrong about that. This is not some side tangential issue. To truly be a Christian is to understand if there's a way to right the sins that I committed before I knew Christ, I ought to do that. Um, 12-step programs have that. It's mm-hmm. It's one of the steps where you go back and you try to make a repair. And we should also, I think 
even take it a step further, like we see with the parapet around, around the roof, like you ensure you do things that that you can to make sure that you don't harm people. But even if you do harm people, you know, negligently or intentionally, whatever it is, then you need to go and make that wrong right. Yes. But here's the problem. The biblical pattern throughout scripture is that repayment of wrongs is between two parties. The, the, the person who did the wrong and the person who was wronged. As far as I can tell, it is the universal principle and practice of scripture, both prescriptively and descriptively, that it is the wronged party and the person who did the wrong that have the transaction. Okay, the injured party, and, and the, whether it is intentional or unintentional, there's verses about accidental things mm -hmm. that happen that, that deserve repayment. Here's the problem. All the participants in American slavery are dead. So we cannot follow this pattern of the wronged party versus the, the, the party that did the wrongdoing. We cannot follow the biblical pattern because everybody's dead yeah. who was involved in slavery. So even though proponents of reparations may be correct in saying there's a biblical precedent for us to repay injured parties, we can agree. Yes, there is a biblical precedent for it. And like what we see with Zacchaeus and things that are outlined in the Old Testament, the the precedent for that is the person who's done the wrong to the the party that has been wronged. Okay, with that, we're going to put a little bookmark right there and we're going to hear from our friends at Impact 360. So we've done all the setup. We've done the biblical groundwork about restitution. We've set up the problem. Now we're when we come back, we'll begin to apply the scripture to our current situation. So just sit tight. Try not to, if you're, if you're feeling, I can see some of them. I can, if, I can if, see if, the if you're feeling frustrated, just try to calm down. We coming for both Melissa's. We're, we're, we're coming gonna, for Natalie. We got a lot Haley. to still unfold here. Yeah. But we just sit back and listen and try to listen to the arguments. And um, then we're going to go from there. Okay. With that, we're going to have a minute uh, and hear from our friends at impact 360. We'll be right back on the other side. It's time to prepare. Let's get ready for the journey ahead. Life doesn't give us a redo. We don't get to run it back. Along the way, we will face obstacles and challenges, but we are carrying light into the dark places. Our paths and our destinations are different, but our beginning is the same. We must prepare. This is why Impact 360 Institute exists. Get ready to grow, to stand firm, to be who God created you to be to lead with courage, truth, and love. This experience will transform your life. Be challenged to grow your faith. Learn how to think, not what to think. Build community with those seeking to live like Jesus. Establish spiritual rhythms, discover how to be, and make disciples. And put your faith into action. As you prepare for the journey ahead, 
deepen your understanding of what God has revealed about reality and why Christianity is true. Discover your identity in Christ and your God-given calling and authentic community. Cultivate a servant's heart and live a life of spirit-empowered kingdom influence. Okay, once again, those are our friends at Impact 360. You can check them out in um, their gap year program. They've got summer camps for next year. They even have a master's degree program. So go check them out. See if I might be a good fit to help you in your discipleship with your young people in your church, in your family, to see if I might be able to be a good adjunct to what you are already doing. Okay, we, we got some good um, ground covered. So I'm just watching people process in the okay in the comments and I'm I'm just enjoying watching how you guys are processing through it and your thoughts and comments and things like that. And um, so far, most of everything that's being written in the comments, we will tackle yeah. at some point. And if um, if it's not talked about, then we'll definitely um, come in, you know, get into it. But yeah. yeah. OK, so the next kind of part that I like to bring up is what should have happened. So if I'm talking to somebody who's pro reparations, I can concede their points. And I think it's important to concede their points. The restitution is a deeply biblical idea. It is not a tangential fringe issue. It is both Old Testament and New Testament. It is there. It is present. And that, as an expression, once we come into Christ, if there is something that we can do to rectify a wrong that we did in the past, we should try to do it. Mm-hmm. That's basically the transcultural principle. Yes. So what should have happened? Well, after the Civil War, what should have happened <laughs> biblically was that slaves should have been given some kind of severance pack. I call it a severance package because it, biblically, that's kind of what it is. Like um, it's, it's a biblical severance package and we have warrant for it in Deuteronomy 15. And so this is what I was going to go to. Yeah. Um, but this is a much better place for it. We can pull up Deuteronomy 15. It says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor and out of your wine press. As the Lord, your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord, your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. And so one of the the main objections I think people make to this is that well, they weren't like the brother or sister to the slave owner. You know what I mean? So maybe restitution, because this is specifically about a Hebrew man who sells himself to another Hebrew, to a family member. And to that, I generally retort, well, slaves were stolen. And, and so that's a violation of a different that's law. That's a demand snatching is a, is a, is a, a capital crime. Yeah. Capital crime. So it's punishable by death. So American slavery was built on man snatching, you know, and it was built on kidnapping, which if we were to look at scripturally, 
under the old covenant, it was seen as a capital crime. What that tells me is God takes man snatching seriously. Yeah. He is not pro man snatching. Don't just snatch a man. And we don't conscript people against their will into slavery. God, that is a violation of God's justice standard. So in that way, the American slavery had a lot of complications. Yeah. It, it was a, it, it was a peculiar institution and it's yeah. called a peculiar institution for a number of reasons. But what this verse or this passage tells us is that according to God's standards, he has it set up that when a slave is released, they would receive some sort of severance package that they would not just be released empty handed to go and now try to make their way in the world because that's not going to work. Yeah, a couple points to build on that is notice how tightly the things that they're given connects to being able to make a living, mm-hmm. you know, and so it it's about their well-being, giving them a start in the world. But also we're only talking. So ideally what should have happened was. Christian slave owners should have come to repentance. They should have repented of their sins. Recognized that owning people through as a result of kidnapping and forced labor and conscription. They should have let those people go, even like whenever before the war, you know, but then after the war, definitely the Christian slave owners, the ideal would have been they repented of their sins. They let their slaves go and they gave them some wherewithal to be able to make a living. Mm -hmm. That's what should have happened on the Christian side. And again, um, I'm not talking about it at this point on the national side. I'm just talking about person to person Because the biblical pattern is, remember, the wrongdoer compensates the injured party. So that's what should have happened on the person-to-person level. We're not talking about laws. We're talking about people acting out of their conscience, acting out of a lead from the Holy Spirit, conviction, and repentance. But... Aside from, you know, like looking at the biblical position in Deuteronomy, what we also see at the end of slavery was filled order 15. So now we're switching the conversation from personal to national. Mm -hmm. I want to make that super clear that that's what we're doing. We're we're saying, okay, this is what should have happened person to person. Mm -hmm. In most cases, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. There were a few. We can acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But in most cases... What should have happened didn't happen. Now we're switching the conversation to national. What should we have done as a nation? Well, I think what we should have done as a nation and what was it is a bit in line with what I think General Sherman tried to do. And that came through Field Order 15. 15. Yeah. And Field Order 15 looks at land redistribution and giving the land a former slave on, from the former slave owners to the slaves. So there was a plan. It was at the very end of the war. If you remember mm-hmm. back to high school Civil War discussions, you may have heard the phrase like General Sherman burning, you know, from Atlanta to the sea. And it was a basically a scorched earth campaign to try to end the war and bring it to a close. And so they just started burning 
plantations, basically ruining the livelihoods of the plantation owners. General Sherman had an idea. Let's take all of, four, it was about 400,000 acres of land that had been confiscated from the Confederate citizens. He called a group together. Some of these people were black pastors and talked about redistributing the land from the Confederate slave owners to former slaves. This is where we get the saying, 40 acres and a mule, that they were going to be given 40 acres to basically follow the injunction of Deuteronomy that a former slave would have a way to farm the land and make, the, make a living. Mm -hmm. So if you ask a black person, descendant of slavery, about the 40 acres and a mule. They all know that. I had never heard that. Give me my 40 acres and my mule. Yeah, yes. prior to mm -hmm. our friendship. But oh, for that's you, interesting. But for you, that, that was a saying that you had with me of give me my 40 acres and a mule. Mm -hmm. So people might run into this, and I want people yeah. to understand the historical context yeah. for that. So it was a land distribution um, campaign. campaign. But then Lincoln was killed. Unfortunately, it was never implemented. Yeah. Lincoln signed it. He agreed to it. My understanding of a field order is sort of like what we call today an executive order. It didn't go through the Congress or anything like that. But Lincoln had signed it. But then when Johnson came in as president, he didn't follow through with it. What do you think the impact of that has been on descendants of slaves? that it didn't follow through. Like there's some resentment. There, I think there right? is, there, I think there's resentment there. I think it would be hard to quantify the um, physical, you know, what the physical ramification of that would be. But I think the emotional toll on that in stories being passed down and the trust for the government and how we, not we like all of us, but how some people, I will say that, um, think about or trust our nation is, is definitely we on shaky ground because I mean, but after that, then you have which is a whole other show, the compromise of um, what is it, eighteen eighty-seven? Oh, yeah. So people can check that out in your conversation about the black vote. Yeah. On off code, you go mm -hmm. through all of that very sad history that happened right after the Civil yeah, War. Yeah, because right, so you get the forty acres and the mule situation with the reparations, but then any land that had been given was then taken back. Yes. And then you have... And it was given back to, to the, the slave owners. The slave mm -hmm. owners. It was returned to those Confederates. Yes. Yeah. So, and then you have the whole, um, like, switching of the... Or not even switching, but this compromise with the treaty and, you know, all of this in the presidential campaign where now you get the institution of Jim Crow. And so it's, I would say, post-slavery, we... If you're if you're really honest and you just look at the history, there's not a lot of reason for blacks to trust America, like or to trust our government. To like, trust the government, like, yeah, yeah. You know, we kind of sketchy, but I mean, I feel like there are other groups in America that, that can also say that. Yeah, you know? we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, I think that this then created a setup where many former slaves they didn't have a home, they didn't have land, they didn't have a way of earning a living, providing for their family, and then that evolved into like the whole sharecropping. Um, industry and all of that. And so when for, for descendants of slaves, what people on the anti-reparation side need to understand is that for many descendants of slaves, 
Field Order 15 feels like a broken promise. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it it is very hard because governments have paid our own government has paid restitution to other groups. Yes. And I mean and this is where I had to grow in my appreciation of history because I did not know this. Yeah, so the American government has paid, you know, restitution reparations. Sometimes those words are used like interchangeably um, to the Japanese, to um, Native Americans. Yeah. Just a couple years ago, there was conversation of paying restitution to um, Mexicans coming across the border who may have gotten caught in um, like all of the border fiasco and all of that. And so you know, that can leave you feeling a certain way when the nation has constantly or the government has constantly said, no, we're not going to do this. But, you know, we really should consider yeah. giving money to these people here who aren't citizens, who haven't, you know, literally slaved to build a nation. And so I think that all gets your in your emotions and gets things conflicted and confused. And with some legitimacy, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the Germans paid Holocaust survivors after World War II. Uh, in 1990, the U.S. government paid um, a check for $20,000 yeah. with an apology letter to 80,000 Japanese Americans as a result of being placed in internment camps during World War II. We've paid multiple restitutions, billions of dollars to the Native Americans. Now, these efforts have not always turned out well either. And we have to acknowledge that, that especially with the issue with the Native Americans, like we have paid, um, in 1946, Congress established the Indian Claims Commission to hear the grievances of Native Americans about violated land treaties. Unfortunately, that committee didn't really do much that was productive, helpful, or restoring to the Native American communities, and that committee was eventually disbanded in the 70s. But but we have we have at least tried or made an effort to make repayment to Native Americans multiple times in different ways. I think or descendants of slaves, your question is, this is a little peculiar. It's peculiar. It's peculiar <laughs> that we will send. You're like the one group. We're not paying. Well, we're not I mean, paying. Like in, in, in whether I agree with reparations or not, I feel yeah. like it's a fair question to ask. Why would we pay all of these groups? And why in 2020 can a president or a cabinet, whatever, proposed to pay restitution to people who are not citizens who, you know, who are just now coming here or why can we go and fund wars in other countries that we have nothing to do with? And yet when the conversation of reparations comes up, it is like immediately like shunned and shut down down. and just like, we're just like, in our feelings about it. Yeah. And we just say it's stupid and we dismiss it and we don't even want to hear it out. Yes. So this is our attempt to try to help people hear it out. And, and I would also say, like, if you're watching and you feel like that, like you and your feelings about like, we just need to shut this down. We don't even need to have this conversation. I would ask why, like w- maybe ask yourself, wow, I, I have a lot of emotion about this. I wonder why. Be- 
it's just a conversation. Like I, yeah. I haven't, you know, I said, said openly, you know, I was very pro reparations. I think, you know, now I'm, we're going to get know, to some obstacles here in a minute. There, yeah. ooh, and there are some obstacles, <laughs> but the, I think it's a fair question to ask. And I'll tell you when this changed for me, like when my heart really started changing on this issue, I was, we were at lunch, um, eating some Jesus chicken at Chick-fil-A with our friend, Marcus, uh, who's been on, uh, mm-hmm. with us before for a family meeting. And he's a great guy. He's a pastor. He, um, is African-American, uh, and very thoughtful, very measured and, um, you know, not progressive in any kind of a way. Mm-hmm. And, and the three of us are just sitting there and Marcus says, you know, I just wish our government would do something to acknowledge slavery, like send us a letter or, you know, just maybe give us all $10,000 and be done with it. Like just something to acknowledge the wrong done to our ancestors. And I remember thinking in that moment, like what I really hear behind that is a sense of, you know, it's like when you're in marriage counseling and you're just really longing for the other person to just own something, you know, and we just want, even if each of us as individuals weren't here to participate, we're really just wanting the government to say something. Because they had a role to play in and it, I think, too. I think that's a big thing um, that people don't understand because some people will say, well, we fought a war. And yes, I do acknowledge that we fought. I'm grateful that we fought that war. Um, and that war was also um, muddled with other things. And there, our government has never, even, even, even though individuals within the government may say, you know, that was wrong or we regret this, our government as a collective has never said the United States of America acknowledges blank and that we should not, that we participated in an injustice against this group of people. Yeah. And that's what I think many people are looking for, not for, you know, Congressperson X in Wyoming to stand up and say, I can see that this is wrong. Yeah. There's a difference. And I think this is where Pat Sawyer is coming from in that conversation we had with him back in August of 2020 is the national conversation, like getting the government to maybe acknowledge a wrong done. And that they had a role to play in participating in that. And um, so there's that. But then I want to bring us back to and reorient us as Christians that, you know, we don't see in Scripture a precedent where a government pays restitution. It's always, I'm going to go back to what Scripture says, it is always between the injured party and the wrongdoer. They're, they're, the closest thing we have to that is, um, and Bob's going to put some uh, scriptures on the screen here from the book of Exodus, that when the Israelites were getting ready to leave Egypt, God moved in the hearts of the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And it says, I will give the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and you shall not go empty. In other words, empty handed. 
Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in their house for silver, gold, jewelry, or clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Scroll down, Bob. Um, and we see this repeated several times. Exodus chapter 11. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Keep scrolling. Exodus 12. Uh, the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So here we see in this scenario, to me, the closest thing of like kind of a corporate repayment. Mm -hmm. But notice how it's a result of God moving in people's hearts. And this is also, we mentioned Eric Mason earlier in the yeah. in the show. And this is something that he also goes back to is he uses this as evidence to say, see as a nation, the nation should pay reparations because of, um, because of like what happened with the Egyptians. Well, in, in this case, the Egyptians, the Lord moved in their hearts to be able to give them all of that. Yeah. So, again, if the people were in the, the, the big obstacle we have here is that the people who were actually involved in slavery are no longer here. They're, they're all, those generations have all passed. Um, so we can't follow the biblical precedent of compensation of the injured party and and the injurer, if you will. Um, but here's where we get to another complication is not only do we not have a precedent for a government to repay people, we don't have a biblical precedent for restitution five or six generations removed from the issue. Even when, even if it were person to person, I don't it, believe that there's a, like, so even if I wrong Krista, my great grandchildren, we don't have, I don't see a biblical principle or precedent for my great grandchildren to now come and pay her great grandchildren yeah. something. Yeah. And so anything we would do along these lines for slavery would be beyond what That's scripture true. has to say. Mm -hmm. So even though the principle of restitution is there and is a deeply biblical idea, I think one of the big obstacles we run into is that we're five or six generations removed from slavery and there really is no biblical precedent for that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm not seeing a lot of people wrestle with. A lot of Christians anyway. Yeah. 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 And then there's also practical concerns. And where are we getting this money from? Where are we getting this money from? We have such wicked People in politics and corrupt monetary policy I mean, and a but, mountain of debt. But see, to that point, yeah. this is where the proponent for reparations or restitution would say exactly we don't have money for it because we send all of our money to this country or to that country or to rescue this group of people here or to bring in and then fund all of these things. Exactly. And so I'm where where is that money going? Because obviously yep. we have money. And this makes me I, I can understand the frustration and the anger of descendants of slaves when when they look at the billions that we're sending to the Ukraine for less than transparent reasons. And they're like, you got money for everything else, but you don't ever have money for this. So even though I do think that our we have terrible corrupt monetary policy in our government 
and I don't think we can afford this on a pragmatic level, I can at the same time be an empathetic human when descendants of slavery say, yeah, but you have money for everything else. You paid out a trillion dollars over COVID with all these checks instantaneously overnight. All of a sudden you had a trillion dollars to send out what they call those things. Uh, oh, I don't remember. I just you know, all like those it. checks they put in our yeah. bank account, mm-hmm. whether we want them or not. And so I can understand why descendants of slaves feel frustrated. And so I really want to say a word to those of you who are on the anti-reparation side of the conversation. Have an ounce of empathy. <laughs> Just a little bit. Like, really, people? Like, like, this is, we've paid other groups. We have money for everything else. We, for them, it feels like a broken promise. The whole 40 acres and a mule thing and the field order 15. At least have like an ounce of empathy to understand the frustration. Yeah. I mean, and whether we agree, I, I can, I can seek to understand something, whether I agree with it or not. Yeah. Stimulus checks. Thank you. Yes. So a question we hear a lot at outreaches is what about welfare? Isn't that, and I used to use this argument with you too. Oh girl, you talking about something that would set me off real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about welfare? Isn't welfare a form of reparations? We've already paid trillions of dollars no. into welfare. No. So how do you respond no. to that? Welfare is not a reparation. Why? Because welfare is about the current living condition of the person receiving. Welfare is something that is offered and available to any person on in America, including people who are not even um, legal citizens here. If you have a child here and you yourself are not a legal citizen, you can get welfare on behalf of your child. Welfare has nothing to do with the wrong done to a group of people. And so that's that is the main difference. I was like, you can get welfare. There's more white people currently on welfare than there are, are blacks. But I know that that has to do with like a population kind of thing and percentages. But still, if if what we're talking about, we're not talking about a, a program that anyone can, you know, dip their toe in. We're talking about something that is specific to those who were the descendants of someone who was wronged, someone who was either snatched from their land or served as a slave because someone in their lineage was snatched from their land. So in your case, was it your great grandmother who was probably in slavery? I'm on, trying to think about on your mother's side because you knew your grandmother. It would be my great great grandmother. Your great great grandmother. Because my great grandmother so, was the product, I believe, of the union of okay. the slave and the um, okay. slave master, yes. So for you, you know, as a descendant of a slave, that is an important conversation. It's it's specifically to a particular group of people, whereas welfare is for is available anybody. to anybody. Oh, who so will it's come. not a form of reparations. No, All it's right. not a form of reparations. So what about this? Um, this is another question that I hear that comes up a lot is, do you think reparations are going to fix the problems in the black community? Heck no, not even a little bit. I mean, well, it will. And, and I think that there are a number of concerns and a number of questions that I would ask based on that question. So what problem are you specifically referring to? I think part of the crazy making situation when it when we talk about reparations is that everyone gets dumped into the bucket of do you see black wealth and how, you know, how blacks, how far blacks are on um, in the wealth gap? Well, we can't necessarily blame that 
all on slavery. We don't, you have to go through and be able to prove this person is still in poverty because of slavery, redlining, um, Jim Crow, black, cause like there has to be some, can, can you prove that? Yeah. And I would say you can't always, um, and that, that's a, gets into a whole nother conversation, but People make choices. And I think this is part of where I have also shifted in my thought about reparations is that what do you do with people who, you know, came out of slavery and did well for their family within pretty quickly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even under Jim Crow. Blacks did way better under Jim Crow than they are doing today in 2023 America. When we look at segregation and business ownership and all of that, marriages, the family unit, all of we were doing much better. And so I can't look across the board and say, well, it's because of slavery or post-traumatic slave syndrome or all of these things that have now created this vast difference in wealth within the black community. For some, sure. And I would probably be able to tie it more closer to redlining than even to slavery. But um, I don't think it will. I don't think reparations will solve the problems of the black community because each person is their own autonomous individual little self and they get to make the choices for their life. It's kind of like you can give me $10,000 and we can give you $10,000. I'm going to buy lotion. You will probably buy a theology book and put the rest of it in the bank. Um, I think there's somebody who agrees with you. We're going to play a short clip here um, from uh, Bob Woodson of the Woodson Center. Because this question comes up a lot. I see this this clip everywhere on social media. And this is like the anti-reparations that are like posting this clip from Bob Woodson. OK, here's my answer to why we don't need reparations. Like, OK, let's just slow down and have the whole conversation. So we're going to play this short clip. It's from the Dr. Phil show. I don't write anything about the comments with Dr. Phil. I don't care about that. We're just watching the yeah. part about Bob Woodson. All right, here we go. Not everybody suffered equally. I mean, when you go into uh, slavery, it's more, much more complex than all white people were the oppressors and black people were the victims. If you, if you dissect it, you will find there were about 3,700 free blacks who owned 12,000 slaves. Yes, there were. Black slaves. The question is, do the descendants of those free blacks who owned black slaves, do they pay? Blacks really... Uh, benefited more the first hundred years after slavery than we have in the last 50 years. I was born in 1937 during the Depression. Everyone in my small, low-income black community, 98% of the households had a man and a woman raising children. Elderly people could walk safely in that community without fear of being assaulted by their grandchildren. Never heard a gunfire during that time. Never heard of a child being Uh, shot to death in the crib. But there are 50 children today who have been shot and killed in our cities. If you're talking about remedies, we've got to look beyond uh, saying that that every solution has to have a a, a winner and a loser, that blacks can only benefit if whites lose. We have to be defined more than just victims of oppression. When whites were at their worst, Blacks were at their best. When we were denied access to, uh, to, to hotels, we built our own. We have to uh, communicate to our people this, the, the history of how they achieved in the face of oppression. Yes. But if we continue to sit back and say, 
all of the challenges that we face in, in uh, out of wedlock birth, the violence, that somehow white, the, the control of that is, is in the hands of white America. And therefore, until white people change, there's nothing that we can do. Mm. This sets up a, a terrible situation for this nation. The big crisis facing America is not racial. It is the moral and spiritual freefall that is consuming our children. The highest uh, 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 death rate among black families is homicide. Among uh, Silicon Valley, the highest uh, le level of, of suicide, six times the national average. In Appalachia, there are uh, prescription drugs. And so if we are to address this crisis that is causing our children to, to lack a, a sense of, of, of personal responsibility or value for their own life, they will take their own life or take someone else's. Okay. So in order to... Uh, yeah. God bless Bob Woodson. I, I mean, yeah, I completely it, agree. Blacks did better right after the Civil War. Um, definitely um, right up to right before that, um, the compromise. Um, and even after the compromise, when, you know, we had the Great Migration and we had the, the forming of um, black universities and black institutions and all of this, the problem is not the fact that that we have not been given reparations. The problem is the fact that we've been given welfare and we have allowed the government to succinctly, sneakily, and systematically come into our homes, steal away our men, and jail our boys. They have created a system that has dismantled the Black family. And that, as long as we continue to participate in that and per allow that to be perpetuated in our communities, we will forever see Black death by gang homicide. We will forever see drugs. We will forever see, um, you know, dr not just drugs, but like poverty. It's, it's a, it's like he said, it's a spiritual issue. It's a familial issue. It's something that starts in the home. As long as I'm sitting up waiting for a white person to give me a check, all I'm saying is that I'll never get better until a white person gives me a check. That's not going to fix. It's not going to fix it, no. nor did you create my problem. Can I believe that the, something should have been done in the form of restitution or reparations post-slavery? Yes. And yes, I do. I think that the government is wrong. I think that there was a field order that Lincoln signed and they reneged. But in 2023 America... I don't know that I have the, the linchpin. I don't know that I, that I have the strength to connect the poverty we experience today in many black communities all the way back to slavery. I just, we don't have that. Now, again, redlining, I think, is a little closer. It's a little bit yeah. in our, more in our proximity. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, yeah. And what do you do? See, the conversation of, of reparations always leaves out. And I'm so glad that he hit on it because I wish I had my Kindle. Um, I've read a couple of good books uh, on black slave owners. There were many black slave owners. There were also many Native American slave owners. And so when we look at the people who are going to be, and I've probably didn't gone all past our notes. I'm sorry, girl. But when we look at who's going to be responsible for repayment one if, if it's the government that's just going to boil down to be a tax and so if that's a tax who are they going to tax are they only going to tax white people when blacks and native americans also own slaves and people will say well it was only a small percentage and 
it, uh, slavery overall was a small percentage of the South. And so we have we have to be able to think about this more clearly. And even if I don't like what the government did not do 200 years ago, nearly, I I can't now put that on the the back of somebody else. And that's kind of what I don't like at this point, because I'm like, I really want to stand for this. But. You can't make you can't make the dots connect. And even if I could culturally I don't know that I can biblically and biblically is what we are most concerned about. Well, what about this question is, do you think reparations will bring racial peace? Will it bring unity or is this just going to be like the beginning of a string of payments? Oh, I don't think it'll be a a string of payments at all. I think um, you think it'll be one payment. I think it would be one payment and one payment and all. Now, I'm a skeptic. No, but no, CC. No, here, here's, here's, I said, what I said is I think it would be one payment. I don't think our government's going to be up for, you know, six, seven, eight payments. Do I think the request for more will constantly be there? Yes. I think Mm. a perfect example of this is Dan Caffey when he was on whatever religious show that was and he shined Lecrae's shoes. And he was like, we need to acknowledge and be shamed and admit and like all of this stuff. And as soon as that man got up, what did Lecrae say? Now, what about some stock in Chick-fil-A? It's it's a perfect example. The guy, you, Somebody will shine your shoes here, but because of the attitude of heart that is not satisfied. It's an attitude of heart. When your heart isn't satisfied, that will lead you to continue to ask for more. And I'm not sure that the heart of those who are asking for reparations is complete, will be completely satisfied. Do you think it'll bring racial unity? Will it bring peace? No, I don't. I don't think so, because that that is founded first in Jesus. Our unity and our peace is found in him. I'm not losing sleep because our government didn't give us reparations. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Here's my problem with reparations is that I think it's just going to turn into a massive wealth redistribution program, which is basically exchanging one injustice for another. I, 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 Are you meaning stealing from whites in order to. Or the wealthy. Yeah. Stealing from the wealthy. Well, I I don't think that they're going to steal from wealthy blacks. I don't know. It depends on how they execute this tax, but. They may say that wealthy blacks have to pay their fair share. I don't know how they're going to do it. But to me, it's just really a it's a scheme. Potentially to just redistribute wealth and it's it's this it's theft, which the Bible says is also an injustice. So I'm not a fan of it for that reason. Let's uh, we are definitely over time. Let's um, let's wrap up and then get to the questions and comments here because we do not want to miss that. So let's hit the last points on it. Okay, so what should we do? I think our hope is that. um, I'm I'm not convinced there's a biblical warrant to go back in time and do all this reparations for descendants of slaves. But I do think there could be some conversation of reparations for people who were directly impacted by redlining or Jim Crow. Some of those people are still alive. Yeah. They're in their seventies and eighties. I don't know how you'd, how you'd prove that. I don't know how you'd prove that you were prevented from purchasing a house in a particular area. But here's the thing too, is that we can't pretend like redlining only impacted black and brown people. Redlining also impacted whites. So if I I was white and I had a home that I was looking to buy that may be in a nice black area, 
I might be turned down. There was a good likelihood that I would be turned down. Or if I um, bought too close to the tracks, too close to the black community, I also might not be insured, might not get my loan. And so we can't just sit and think that these things are as cut and dry as the color of people's skin. Yeah, It isn't always that cut and dry. And so if we are going to... Um, if we are going to look at things like redlining and offering restitution for people who were impacted by redlining, we cannot play by the rules of partiality. We have to think of people with varying skin shades and understand that this was a, a system that impacted many people, some of which were white. The other thing I, I think I would say is, you know, if I, cause we've talked to people when we travel, you know, especially in the South, like, hey, I know my family has wealth that was built as a result of slavery. Look, if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something about that, if your heart is prompted. If uh. your heart is prompted, go obey the Lord. Like, you know, we aren't here to arbitrate that. Be careful about how you do it. You know, whether that's like, hey, I'm going to start a community center in my area to service a particular group of people or I'm going to send Monique gas money. Won't he do it? <laughs> Let the Lord. Or use it. I'm going to start a school to, yeah. to help improve education in a particular area that is predominantly descendants of slaves, or I'm going to start a school for entrepreneurs and teach uh, people how to start their own businesses mm -hmm. and to, because when you start a business, you not only better one life, you better the life of, a whole family and potentially multiple generations. But if the Lord tells you to do something great, go do that. That's what we used to call charity. We didn't sit around and wait for the government to tell us what to do. Um, so I guess those are kind of my two points. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like if and, and I feel like this because I had someone a couple of years ago walk up to me and said, Monique, I've done research on my family. I know my family owns slaves and I have a lot of money and I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, well, you should give to the Center for Biblical Unity. Don't forget. <laughs> no, no, I didn't say that. I, I, but I, I did encourage him to pray because there were some slave owners who also gave, you know, in their will to their, you know, slaves who were released or who, who not every slave was done dirty. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Like not every slave was done dirty. So just because your descendants may have been slave owners, do you know that they were dirty? Do you know that they didn't help support, you know, their slave and actually take care of them well? These are other questions to ask. It's just not as cut and dry as what we yeah. think sometimes. Let's. Um, All right. So, Bob, scroll up to the comments. Let's scroll up and I guess start with Jeremy Webb. He says, who gets reparations? There's a couple of questions along those lines. Um, he says, I have a distant cousin who married a Norwegian man. Their son grew up in Norway and looks white. Does he get reparations? His son. Can he trace his ancestry to slavery? I think that is probably going to be a question of if I think that some form of national reparations is coming. I, I, it might not be in this administration or the next, but I think it is coming. Hmm. And I think that um, there will likely be some kind of paperwork that people will have to produce of their 
connection to slavery and you know like is it on both sides of your family is it one side and then there'll be some ratio of how it will work but i i this is my hypothesis of how this is going to work but who knows uh, um but i do think that national reparations are coming i think some states will also pass their own reparations laws mm-hmm. and i'll be both national and statewide um Melissa says, I believe in God's justice for everyone, whatever happened to trusting God to handle our situations. And I think ultimately we have to look to God to handle these things, um, to make this right. I mean, this is a mess and I don't necessarily think that there's going to be an easy way out of it. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, on one hand, you have a group of people whose descendants were wronged. And today, in order to fix that wrong, we would have to steal, basically through taxation, from another group of people. So we're going to exchange one injustice for, for another. another. And, mm-hmm. you know, from a Christian standpoint, I don't necessarily think we should be doing that. And we can also acknowledge the wrong and at the same time not make another wrong. See, I think, okay, so Melissa Leach brings up, she brings up a good point. Um, She says, I was deprived of a two-parent home, which put me in an economic disadvantage. Shouldn't I be compensated for bad public policy of no-fault divorce? I think, to me, that wouldn't necessarily fly because just because there was a policy put in place, your parents didn't have to participate with that policy. Mm. Slaves did not have the the option to not participate with the policy. The policy was made and simply because of the color of their skin, they were opted into the policy. And so if you had the option, I mean, or if there was no option, if your parents had to, if they were forced to split, then I would say, oh, maybe this group of people over here might have a you know, a warrant, you know, or some kind of valid argument, but your parents participated through their own choice. Whereas this group over here had no choice of their own. Their choices impacted you. I'm not saying you had a choice. Your parents had the choice. Whereas the African descendants of slaves are the African descendants of slaves and not through any choice of their own, but because their descendants were stolen. Okay. Next comment. Uh, Natalie says, but restitution means that we give back to the one harm reparations is not that we're so far removed. And that's exactly yeah, that's our what point. We were saying, Natalie, Natalie, um, Natalie well, was jumping ahead. She was putting that in. I saw that comment come through. I was like, Natalie, you far ahead of us. Hold <laughs> on girl. Uh, Melissa says some of my family was caught in the Irish slave trade. Do I also qualify for that too? And I think I have several thoughts about this comment, but one of them is that this is the kind of comment that doesn't actually help the conversation. It's, it's a comment that, um, when, and I used to do this too, I used to ask these very kinds of questions, but what I found is that it doesn't build a bridge to persuading the other person, which is really what I wanted to do was I wanted to persuade Monique away from her pro reparation stand. And when I would ask these kinds of questions that were kind of like gotcha questions or sarcastic questions, it revealed in my heart. Like, and, and this, I'm speaking for me. I don't know what your heart is, Melissa, so I don't know. 
But for me, when I when I hear that question, it triggers a lot of memories in me of how I would ask those very kinds of questions. And for me, it was a it was a way of trying to engage Monique in a trap question to try to show her the absurdity of reparations instead of taking the time to actually understand her case, do my own research. And again, like I said, at the top of the show, like really coming up with Iron Man arguments, the best arguments I could find on the pro reparation side, and then sorting through biblically is a long journey for me. It's taken us almost three years to get here. She has another comment um, a little bit further down. And she says, do you really think reparations will bring the alleged offended to Christ? Um, he was an individual talking about Zacchaeus was an individual as an individual was convicted, not Rome. Then let those individuals pay back according to the Holy Spirit's conviction and not pass it on to those who aren't. I think that's a bit of what we're saying. Um, so we're you, saying toward it, the end there yeah, yeah. is that, you know, at this point, it may just be a thing where, you know, and maybe it should just be that where, you know, for each person who's convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit, then they go out and they do something. Because um, we are so far removed from it. We can't mm -hmm. have the re biblical precedent of repayment. And I do agree that Zacchaeus as an individual is the one who did pay back. It wasn't Rome who, who paid back. And that was something that I had to learn and grow in because I took Zacchaeus to be a stand-in for all tax collectors across all times and the, places. The system of the government. Yeah, the system. Of, I mean, yeah. Zacchaeus was paying taxes for people in Germany and like all around the world. And it doesn't float. That isn't that isn't the way that yeah. we read the text yeah, great when we read it in context. So good yeah. point. Yeah. Okay, Jenny. She said, hey, Jenny, um, even if you let the sin of the father carry through the generations, not every person's great, great, great grandparents partook of those sins. And I completely agree. And in this current conversation on reparations, some people who did partake are not being upheld or called to the carpet to participate in reparations, Native Americans and African-Americans specifically. So it seems like a so double standard. It is a double standard. Yeah. And it's, it's completely based on color lines and I don't think I think that that's just partiality and partiality being put forward because people are sinners and they're not thinking all the way through in a lot of these areas yeah um I think it's helpful. This is Haley. Um, hey, Haley. I think it's helpful to see clear distinction between restitutions and reparations thus far yeah I mean restitution again is more of the biblical word that is used in English translations reparations is sort of the modern political word uh, that's used. So you could make the case that they mean roughly the same thing. Um, Natalie says native Americans are still getting the short end of the stick. Even today they are mm -hmm. um, just recently. There was something on the news. My brother's wife is native American and the unfairness they still see. Yeah, it's it's tragic, you know, how our government just cannot seem to figure out how to do better with with Native Americans. Um let's see. Natalie says, well if the government says that then they are legally responsible for paying out the reparations. Like if I guess if they were to agree or to make a public apology, 
at this point, I don't know how much our money's worth, but, um, yeah. you know, it, if the government were to apply a reparation, unfortunately, it would be on the back of taxpayers. Yeah. And to a degree, I just think that that's theft. And as much as I would want for, you know, the government or like three year ago, Mo would want for this to happen. 2023 Mo is like, can't steal. Like at some point, what I've had to get to, the place I've had to get to is that the Lord has to sort this out, that justice will be done because our God is a just God. And it may not, I might not see justice while I'm alive or what I, what I define as justice. I don't know it all. I don't, and you know, I could be thinking about this in a completely wrong way, according to the Lord's standards. You know, he might be like, Mo, girl, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think of it like that. But, you know, at, at the end, I do believe that justice will be meted out because our God is a just God. What that will look like, really, in reality, only he can say. But what I can say is that we don't steal. Yeah. With that, I think we're going to wrap it up. I think we've covered all the major comments. Wait, no, hold on. Melissa A says, wouldn't it be nice if people just didn't enslave each other? And that's a whole nother conversation. It's like people have enslaved each other from the beginning. The bear, and people are still enslaving each other today. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Oh, yeah. These are some really good comments, you guys. If nothing else, I hope that um, this just causes you to think and to pause. You know, where is your heart at in, in this conversation? If it's really anxious or really angry, pray and, you know, seek the Lord. And, you know, why is that? Um, and, you know, if nothing else, maybe this is just giving you reason to pause and to think and to consider the way our nation has participated with a group of people. Whether we, you know, agree with reparations or not, I do think that reflecting on like, oh, this this was, you know, said that this is what we would do and it was never done. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, one of the big takeaways I've had in my journey with all of this is to not be so quick to call it stupid, to be impatient. I'm not responsible. You know, you, you, your, your viewpoints may be true or they may not be, but nothing is harmed by listening, asking questions, trying to understand the other side. And then when somebody has a fair point to, to say, that's a fair point. Our government has paid restitution to other groups it's a fair point i can understand that you feel like field order 15 is a broken promise i can understand that you you want acknowledgement that slaves participated in the wealth building of our nation that's a fair point that, that you know that other people have other groups have received restitution, but the descendants of slaves have not. These are fair points that we can concede. Doesn't necessarily mean that we are for um, wealth redistribution. And so we've got to be a little bit more sophisticated in how we engage with each other, because if we're going to persuade people against theft and these uh, exchanging one injustice for another, We've got to show up to the conversation better. We've got to do better with how we engage one another. All right. 
Susanna, that's what we were saying earlier, that there would be people impacted who had, you know, no no participation in slavery at all. And then there would be people who left out who may have like, maybe I need to be, I don't know if, you know, anybody became free in my, in my line and then owned a slave, you know? So there's that. Um, and Melissa has a thought that says, I'm not even necessarily for reparations, but I just find it interesting that so many people have no problem doing many things that there is no biblical precedent for, i.e. entertainment. Um, Yet when it comes to this, where there is a biblical precedent, they have like a big problem with it. Um, and not, I don't think she's saying this is in reparations today, sure, but sure. the idea of restitution overall. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, we hope you found you guys, this helpful. Yes. We look forward to your feedback. Let us know. Um, write to us. This is going to be a chapter in our book. And um, we're kind of just doing the public conversation based on that chapter. So thanks for weighing in. And um, I guess that's it. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. I think there's there a show next week. No, I don't think so. I can't remember. Make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter. Then you'll know if there's a show next week. <laughs> Catch off code. It is yeah. going to be it's, it's going to be educational, but also very funny tomorrow. Yeah. All, right. All right. Thank you so much. You guys have a good night. God bless. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.